My name is Phil. Uh, I'll start off by sending out our grades four to sixes with Chandler uh, for Bible time. Um, as I said, my name is Phil, and I'm on our pastoral team, and it is, as always, such a joy to be with you uh, this Sunday. And as has been said, today marks the final Sunday in the season of Epiphany, which is a, it doesn't have a set time. It is always just based on when Easter comes, and since Easter is based on a lunar cycle, it shifts around each year. But this year, Epiphany was just six weeks long, so a bit of a shorter Epiphany. And as Grady said, Transfiguration marks the final day in the season of Epiphany. But my assumption is, if you're anything like me, the story of the Transfiguration is a little strange. Um, I've thought about it a bit like a fever dream, where you kind of wake up in the morning and you look over and you're trying to tell your friend what happened in your dream. And you're like, well, you see, I was like going up a mountain and I was with Jesus and then he started shining, and then Moses and Elijah were there, but then he was gone, but Jesus looked different, and then God spoke, and then Jesus told me to not tell anyone, and I'm telling you now. So it's this odd, kind of interesting story, like, I don't know fully what's happening, but it seems important. And today what I want to do is I want to wrestle with what is the transfiguration getting at? What does it teach us? Because what we actually see in the movement of Mark is the transfiguration is answering a vital question that is posed one chapter earlier. The passage starts off with the words, after six days, which jumps back to when Peter had said, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And the story of transfiguration comes as a, a confirmation to that claim that Jesus is the Christ. And even more than that, it gives shape and understanding to what it means that Jesus is the Christ. And what we're going to see as we walk through the story of the transfiguration is Jesus is pronounced as Lord, but he's pronounced as Lord in a number of different ways. He's, he's seen as Lord of the mountain, where he shows himself in this bright light. He's seen as Lord over the law and the prophets. And ultimately, he's the Lord who will transform us if we look upon him. So I'm making some interesting claims, and we're going to take some time to try to explore that. But let me start off by praying. Father God, um, we ask for eyes to see you shining from this mountain, that you have revealed yourself in such an important way, and we long to see it and be transformed by it. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In your name, amen. So, I feel like my... Yep. Um, Let's start off with my first claim. Jesus is seen as Lord of the mountain through the story of the transfiguration. What do I mean when I'm saying this? Well, the, after verse 2 where it says, after six days, it then says, Jesus led them up a high mountain and they were alone. This may sound like just a bit of context lane for us. That it's just like, okay, the story takes place on a high mountain. Good information to know. But very rarely is just simple information being given in Scripture. They are trying to point us to something really important. And what I have been thinking of this as is music is beginning to be played that is linking this moment to another moment. If you're a fan of musicals or literature, you might call this a motif. A motif is going on that's linking us from one time to another. Like if you went to go to a movie and the movie started off with this song, if you hear, oh, no. <laughs> I got it. You know where we're going? 
Okay, I knew I couldn't whistle in front of public. But you would, you would begin hearing concerning hobbits, and you would begin thinking of idyllic green rolling hills, of circular doors, of baggins, boffins, and proudfoots. You would suddenly know an adventure is about to occur. And I'm, I'm not going to whistle the second one because I can't do it now because I'm embarrassed. But if you heard Hedwig's flight begin to be played, you would begin to think of witchcraft and wizardry, which is really weird to say on a Sunday morning now that I'm thinking about it. But you would be transported to a land of adventure. And if, if a different movie started off with that music, you would suddenly think to yourself, oh, this is a familiar story. I know the tropes. I know where it's headed. I know what's going on. And those simple words that start off, and they went up a high mountain, and they were alone, to me is the, the first musical notes in the music of the mountain in Scripture. And it's jumping back to the Old Testament in repeated stories when people go to the mountain to have an encounter with God. So let's look at one of the first kind of prototype stories of an encounter with God in Scripture, and we see it in the story of Exodus. Moses is leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, and he brings them to the base of Mount Sinai, and he's told that he's supposed to go up and encounter God at the top of the mountain. And so we hear this music being played. Moses is going on a journey with the leaders of Israel, and then he's told to go off alone. So we know what's happening, but then we see some important repeating tropes that are going to come up. So Exodus 24 says this, When Moses went up the mountain... Uh, when Moses went up the mountain, the cloud covered it, a familiar trope. The glory of the Lord settled on the mountain. And for six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain. So Moses goes up. There's visual imagery. There's this cloud settling. There's light shining on top of the mountain. And God speaks from within the cloud. He gives instruction to Moses. And then the, a really incredible thing happens in Moses' mountaintop experiences is at one point he says to God, show me your glory. And God actually doesn't say he'll show him his glory. He says, I'll show you my goodness. And he hides Moses in this rock and God passes by him. And Moses is able to look at God's kind of back as he goes, and it changes Moses' face. And in uh, Exodus 34, it says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, they were afraid to come near him. So this very kind of first mountaintop experience story in Scripture, we see a cloud, we see light shining, we hear the voice of God giving instruction, and we see a radiant face. Does any of that seem familiar? Yes, okay. <laughs> and this is just one of the first major events, but then it also calls to another one later in the book of Kings with Elijah. Elijah is a prophet of God, and he's on the run for his life, and he comes to a mountain after 40 days because he's been told that he's supposed to hear from God. And he goes up, and he has a very different experience than Moses, but there's some similar things. First, there's um, a violent wind that rushes past the mountain. Then there's an earthquake that shakes the mountain, and then fire passes beyond, and then it goes silent. There's just a still, small wind, and he goes out to hear from God. But one little subtle detail, it says... Elijah veiled his face to go and hear from God. Why would Elijah do that? He's learned 
from Moses' mountaintop experience, that if you go and encounter God, it's going to change you in some way. So he covers his face to not see fully the light that shines. So we see these two earlier stories, and that music is pulling us into the transfiguration story. Those two stories are caught up in this story as the disciples are going up the mountain. And then, and and with, with that, the great thing about motifs is once you learn them, once you know them, the key is to play with them, to surprise them. Concerning hobbits, which I can't whistle now, is, is played, but it also comes up again in changing moments, when things go dark, they play on the notes and they invert them to surprise you, to show you something interesting is going to happen. And that's what happens with this story. They go up the mountain ready to encounter God at the top. And then the end of verse 2 says, and Jesus was transfigured in front of them. But the imagery is they're going up the mountain ready to see God, but God is standing beside them. Jesus is transfigured. And this is a weird word that we don't typically use, uh, but we use its root word. The Greek is metamorphothē, which comes from metamorpho, which means transformed, changed, metamorphosis, right? Like a caterpillar goes into a cocoon, breaks down at a molecular level, molecular level and then changes into a butterfly, it's radically, totally, completely changed. And this is what happens in some way, shape, or form. Jesus is radically changed in front of the disciples. And the disciples, they don't quite say what it is, but they define light as being a key thing. Mark, he says, his clothes became dazzling white, shining, radiant white. And I just love this, whiter than anyone could bleach them. Like, we don't, to me, that's such a C.S. Lewis line. Like, he just, like, adds in great detail. Luke says, his face shone like lightning. And Matthew says his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. There's something that happens with this transformation where Jesus himself radiates light. And our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters, they help us understand this a little better because they call this mountain light, they call it um, uncreated light. Where in the creation narrative, God creates sun and stars to give light the world, he creates the laws of chemistry and thermodynamics in which light happens as response to something. But to the Eastern Orthodox, uncreated light shines out of God's glory himself. It is out of him that this light comes. And that's actually what we refer to when we say God from God, light from light. The uncreated light from the uncreated source. And so Jesus begins to shine from within, showing this light upon the people around him. And what it shows is the light that was shining on the mountain when Moses went, the light that was shining in front of Elijah, is now shining in front of the disciples. This is what I mean when I say Jesus is the Lord at the top of the mountain. Those mountaintop experiences throughout the Old Testament were always pointing to God at the top of the mountain. And what we see is Jesus as the Christ, the anointed one, is God at the top of the mountain, who Moses and Elijah were going to meet. And if you're not convinced, well, then what happens here is Moses and Elijah show up. And this morning, I was thinking about this for a little bit, and a question came to me, and it was this, who is the light at the top of your mountain? Because in in ancient Israel, the belief was God kind of waited at the top of mountain for people. 
And in Greek mythology and Roman mythology, the gods lived at the top of the mountain. And in our society, we've just ripped down the gods. There's no gods at the top of the mountain. But what have we replaced? What have we put there to light and illuminate our own lives, to give our lives meaning and understanding? Who is the Lord at the top of our mountain that we go to to help us understand? And in the Christian faith, we would say it's not a strong enough light. It's not Christ at the top of the mountain. But who do we put there instead? What do we put there instead? Who is the Lord at the top of your mountain? It's been a challenge. But this, this story goes on. Elijah and Moses appear. And they appear as an affirmation of Jesus as Lord of the mountain. But even more than that, it's a claim that Jesus is the Lord over the law and the prophets. Now, before I talk about how Grady and I began having a text conversation about just the story of the transfiguration, and he had said, isn't it amazing that in the story of the transfiguration, we see that Jesus is the Lord over death because Elijah and Moses stand with Jesus living. They're not dead. They're alive beside him. And I was like, oh, I always thought it meant he's the Lord over time because Moses and Elijah go up their mountains and then they find themselves in that moment with Jesus. And I think about it in a very sci-fi way where time collapses into a singular moment and I think I have proof of it, but whether he's the Lord over time or the Lord over death, we see that it's both. But what we really see is he's the Lord over the law and the prophets because Moses and Elijah were the representations of the Jewish law and prophets. They went up the mountain to receive instruction from God and bring it to the people. But what really happens here is so important, and it took multiple commentators for me to really get what was saying, but it's effectively this. Their presence, Moses and Elijah's presence, is significant due to the lack of attention they received. They come up the mountain. Moses and Elijah appear. In Mark's account, you don't know what's said, then God only speaks over Jesus. The cloud descends on them and God says, this is my son. Not my sons. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And then they're gone. One commentator, he puts it this way. In Mark, neither Elijah or Moses is anything compared to Jesus. The implication is, at the very least, that Jesus is the ultimate spokesperson of God, God's final messenger who brings God's revelation to its climax. They disappear after a few minutes and leave Jesus alone as though they would show they were only witnesses. That's their significance. And because who gave them their law? Who gave them the word of God? The light at the top of the mountain illuminated it, illuminated it then, but the light at the top of the mountain is being illuminated now as the Lord over the law and the prophets. And this is why Jesus had the authority to say, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And it's listen to him, hear him, do what he says. So Jesus is shown by God as being Lord over the law and the prophets. And, and one brief note about the time travel theory. <laughs> In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses' swan song book, Moses speaks to Israel and he says this. And this blew me away when I found this a couple weeks ago. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him 
you shall listen to. Where did he get those words? God speaking over him says, listen to Jesus. And Moses knew all along the law was just pointing, making the way for Jesus to come and illuminate all that had already been said. So we see Jesus as Lord of the mountain, kind of confirmed through the light, gives light to the law and the prophets, and so shows that Jesus is above the law and the prophets. Are you with me? Okay. So where does this take us? I want to pause for a moment because we're going to go into our own transformations, but I want to pause for a moment and reflect on the season of Epiphany. Because I was reflecting on the church calendar and I I was struck by my own Epiphany as I stared at the calendar. And it's that Epiphany moves to Lent. Epiphany moves to Lent. And maybe that doesn't seem significant, but the season of Epiphany is a season of revealing of God showing up in big and amazing ways, of making himself known again and again and again. God being real and tangible. And the season of Epiphany, or the season of Lent, is a season of darkness, of fasting, of waiting. It's a season in the valley. And I found it so comforting that the church calendar moves from a season of Epiphany into a season of Lent because it's saying this is a normal journey that you will go through in your own life. There are many times where God will seem big and real, where prayers will be answered, where worship is simple and God is present, and it won't last. The disciples go down the mountain and then they're going to face seasons of persecution. Peter, in in the first reading, he says, this tent, this tabernacle is about to die. And I've been walking through this season of darkness, but I've been looking back at that epiphany. I've been looking at that revealing. And the invitation of the season of epiphany is, yes, go into the darkness, but remember yesterday's gifts and they will sustain you through the darkness. That's, what, that's been a huge one for me because there's been so many moments in life where I'm like, God, where are you? And the reminder is, I was with you yesterday and I prepared you for today. And it's not that he's gone, but just the gift of yesterday carries on. The way I've been putting it is, we often pray, give us this day our daily bread. And the response is, I already gave it to you. God, show yourself to me. And he said, I already did. And that will last and sustain you through the valley. That's just been helpful to me. But where do we go with with epiphany? Where do we go with transfiguration? We see that Jesus is the Lord in the mountain. We see that he gives light to the law and the prophets and that he's over them and that we're to listen to him. But what do we fully do with it? I love what Paul does in his second letter to the church in Corinth. He says this, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. We all are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. Paul's reflection on the transformation, or on the transfiguration, the invitation is this. Sit at it and stare at it until it blinds you. Stare at it until it completely remakes you. And I love the phrase, he says, with unveiled faces. And what we've seen is Moses goes up the mountain and encounters God's back. He doesn't see God 
face to face. Elijah goes up the mountain and covers his own face. And in the Jewish understanding, they built the tabernacle, and inside was the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelt, but it was covered. You weren't allowed to see God. And John starts his gospel by saying, no one has seen God. But he should really end that way by saying, no one has seen God, but dot, 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 we see Jesus unveiled. With unveiled faces through the disciples, the apostles, through scripture, we look back and see God fully made known through Jesus. And what we're to do is just contemplate, stare upon it, let it completely change at us, change us as we look at it with unveiled faces. So much of the time, I think the words on scripture just become a black and white story about things that happened. And we need to remember, like, though I've been using literature language of motif and trope, this is not just a story. Peter writes here, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And the invitation is to let the disciples' eyes be ours, to stare through them at the transfiguration, at the transformation, and let it blind us and let it shape us. And when we stare at his glory, that glory becomes our own or God's shining through us. The way I've been thinking about it, I used to do darkroom photography when I was, this is like 20 years ago now, but I used to do black and white photography. You'd be in the darkroom, you would set up the film, you would get it ready to shine through a light, and you'd put on a clear, a, a blank piece of paper that would absorb the image that's being shone at it. We become the reflection, the, the window through to that glory. And the question of the transfiguration is this. Will you stare at it until it changes you? Will you stare at God and let his light reflect from you? That's the invitation. That's where we go from this. And I invite you to that this week as we move from Epiphany into Lent. For one last week, stare at that transfiguration until we enter into a season of waiting. How does that sound? Good. Well, my hope and prayer for each of you is that you would come and see the Lord of the mountain shining. That you would let his light shine upon you. And my hope and prayer for us as a church is that we learn to play the music of the mountain. That we invite people to come and encounter God's goodness and God's glory shining and showing what it looks like when it transforms us. Let me pray.